Welcome, buddies. Welcome back to the Introvert City Podcast, where we discuss culture, media, and faith from the perspective of an introvert's complex mind. I'm Seth. And I'm Karina, and we're excited to be back with you guys today. Yeah. This is a... this has been a pretty tough past week, if I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to go into depth about anything, but just a lot a lot happened. In particular, like, in my life, I know that, like, God, God kind of broke me down to a, a place that just, I felt a lot of humility and and a lot, <laughs> a lot of sadness. Um, I lost a lot of things this week, and even to the people around me, things just didn't go in the way that they'd all wanted to go. But, mm-hmm. you know, God is good, and... No, I think God puts us in a place where we need to be an adult and grow up a little bit every now and then. I appreciate your transparency. I wasn't sure. After you read the intro, I was like, are we going to say that we had a good week? Because I didn't really have a great week either. I think, I don't know if it's something. week was trash. What was that? My week was trash. <laughs> Just a lot of stuff in both of our personal lives that we're sorting through and as a couple we've kind of had to seek counsel and talk to older couples and ask how to work through things and all that good stuff that everyone goes through but I agree that God is good and I'm really excited to be talking about what we're talking about today so yeah we're excited that you guys are here that you came back this is episode two of our second season of the introvert city podcast Any other opening notes, Seth, before we jump in? No, you can take it away. (laughs) Okay, so today I really wanted to talk about the debate over the existence of God. So not even religious debates, which religion is correct, just the debate over the existence of a higher power in general. So I wanted to actually ask you if you remember the first time you had a conversation with someone about the existence of a god um i mean i don't remember if there was a specific time when i went up to someone i was like hey let's talk about jesus but i do remember like in elementary school because my friend most of my friends like when i moved from cleveland to pa most of my friends were not christian friends most of them were kids that i met in second like you know in school and we bonded over secular things. And I didn't really have any debates per se with anyone or even que- or even question others about what they believed about God probably until like fifth, sixth grade. That's early. Say, fifth or sixth grade. But it wasn't really debating. It was more of just that because there was in particular this one kid who we were friends, who I was friends with, who was a who was an atheist. And I would just tell him that like, I was like, but God is real. And then obviously I... I he just had a lot of good things to say and I was like wow mm-hmm. I, what am I thinking but, and I just was like but God is real and he was like but what about this what about this and I was like oh my gosh I, I cannot argue with you mm. um, and I think that was also a time where I definitely wasn't following God as my own as my own faith more of just believing it from what my parents told me and what the church I grew up with was um, but the first real time I probably really had an in-depth conversation with someone about God. I was probably probably a sophomore. That's my first real, real conversation with someone about God. And it wasn't long or anything. And I tried my best to be open and understanding because it was also a time for me when I was kind of flip-flopping in my faith. So I wasn't like a strong, super strong Christian, I would say at the time, but I wouldn't have called myself an atheist either or an agnostic. So... 
I, th- I would say that it would be around that time. And it ended up being a lot more of moral obligation hmm. and um, your own personal morality versus actual existence of God. And to be more, more of, oh, is God evil? Are you evil? Do you believe in good and evil? Mm-hmm. Why does my morality have to come from God? How can your morality not come from God? That's what the, the first real like argument I had over the existence of God in a literal sense, in a way that was much more than just God's real. No, he's not. So your first big conversation wasn't about establishing the existence of a higher power. It was more, we've established that this could be real. It could be, it could not be. And if it is real, let's talk about morality. That's what it was for you. More of like, if God is real, then he's not good. Um, Kind of like the, uh, so in philosophy, there's a specific paradox that's brought up. I forget the name of the paradox. I think it's Epicurus is the, is the philosophical idea of like evil, where it's that it does evil exist. Yes. Is God all good? Yes. Then, but if God is all good, then he can't be all powerful. If God is all powerful and all knowing, he can't be all good. So, you know, it came into that, that, that whole type of argument was a big argument that I had a lot during that time, because if God is all knowing and all, all, all powerful, why does he let, you know, a tsunami take out a hundred villages in a day of innocent women, children, and men? So you got into the whole, if God is good, why do bad things happen in essence? Yeah. Okay. Which I think it is a fair argument. A lot of people put it down because, you know, they say, oh, well, you can't just say if somebody, because like a parent is, a parent can might mess up sometimes, but a parent, God isn't a parent, God is a perfect being. You know, and I think it, it makes sense because a lot of people are like, if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, then he knows every bad thing that'll ever happen. He knew slavery would happen. He knew the Holocaust would happen. And it's stuff like that that I think was more of the argument than actually than God actually being real. More of, if God's real, I won't subscribe to him. I think a lot of people in high school and college go through that, that phase of you're in these classes, maybe it's ethics, maybe it's history, maybe it's something where you're um, attaining new information about human history, which is very, very dark. You're seeing people around you start to change. You're seeing tragic events start to unfold in your life. And I do think that everyone, especially people who grew up in religious spaces, starting to question if God is good, why do bad things happen? And a lot of people kind of make fun of that. Like, oh, that's such a that's such a stupid, like, it's easy to debunk. And I do think that there's an explanation for it, but we're not going to get into that right now. But I do think it's legit. I think it's very fair of people to ask if God is good, why do bad things happen? Um, very fair. And I've had lots of conversations with people throughout my high school years. So for me, the first conversation that I had that I can remember in detail was also in my sophomore year of high school. I don't know. Maybe it's something when you turn 15, something clicks on and you want to start talking about these things. But I actually was at lunch and we, the group that I was in was sitting outside instead of inside that day. It was a hot day. And we sat in a circle and someone brought up the idea of let's have a debate or something like that. I don't even know how it started. But we ended up sitting in a circle. There were six of us. We ended up being three of us versus three of us, three of us debating just the existence of God, not morality, not which religion is correct, but just the existence. And I remember sitting in that circle um, 
with my two team members and just feeling so on fire. And I didn't know how to defend any of my points. I wasn't educated enough to be able to bring up, you know, apologetics knowledge. But just the feeling of debating with people who were smart as well. It's so fun to debate with smart people because you can't debate with someone who is doesn't have any knowledge. Like when people know what they're talking about, it's so it's it's mo- way more productive to debate with them. Um, anyways, I just remember that, and that was kind of like my spark for wanting to delve deeper into apologetics. Um, and that's kind of what I want to focus on today: is apologetics. What are they? Who does them? Who does them correctly? Who maybe kind of went off the rails with them? And how important are they to the modern Christian life? Seth, did you ever have an interest in apologetics? Uh, I do have an interest in apologetics. Yeah. So let's define that really quick. Most people who grew up in the church know the term. People who go to Bible college know the term, I'm sure. But for those who don't, um, it just means the defense of faith. This is according to the Colorado Christian University. Apologetics is quite literally defense of faith. The Greek word apologia means defense. So apologetics is simply defending your faith. And it's so much more than just saying, I believe in God and here's why. It's actually delving into scientific evidence that points to the existence of a God. It's delving into people's experience and what that says about historical events and how that lines up with religious texts and things like that. It's really, really doing your research and really committing a lot of your life to revealing and spreading the idea that God does in fact exist. Um, And apologetics is not unique to Christianity. I think people link it to Christianity the most, but of course you can defend any faith. So after I learned what apologetics was, I really, really dove into it. Um, I started watching apologetics like reality TV. I mean, my entire YouTube feed was just apologists debating things for hours or having open mics where students would come up and ask them questions like, how can God be good if this world is so bad? And they would just absolutely dominate those answers in ways that I, like, I wrote all the ways down and I was like, I'm going to use this next time someone asks me a question. Um, Unfortunately, I do think that we're living in a generation that doesn't have much interest in that. Not to be that person that's like, oh, in, in my generation, my generation sucks. There's a lot of good in our generation. We've talked about that in previous episodes, but I just don't think we have an interest in philosophy at all. I don't think we have an interest in the origin of the universe, and people aren't having conversations about our different faiths. I always feel really weird and out of place when I ask one of my friends, um, like a new friend, so what are your thoughts on this? What are your beliefs on this? Because it just feels uncomfortable. It feels like no one... And maybe I'm making a generalization because I do have a lot of people in my life that I've surrounded myself with that have an interest in talking about these things, but it feels more on the rare side now to have this passion for wanting to talk about spiritual things or philosophical things or um, passionate about different beliefs. I really, really enjoy conversations with people who are just so in love with what they believe, so passionate Um, because like I was saying earlier, it's just so much more productive to talk to someone who's passionate about something, even if they're on the complete opposite side of the aisle. I worked with a friend a couple months ago who had a completely different religion than me, and 
I could tell that she devoted her entire life to it. And we would talk about it on, on breaks in between shifts. And those conversations were so incredibly p- productive. And I remember just thinking, wow, people aren't interested in this anymore. And this is really mm. cool. The question, though, that I wanted to pose for today's episode is, yes, those conversations are, are productive. But are they productive based on the logic alone that apologists can provide? Or when it comes to God and spirituality and religion, is that more about experience? Do you have any initial thoughts? Well, first, let's just talk about what we mean by the idea of the God debate. Because I think that people look at that and say, are you talking about God existing? Are you talking about God being just a specific God, like it being Allah or Vishnu or... Jesus or, you know, or, you know, do we do even is the Christian God is the way we look at it. Correct. You know, you're talking about the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Um, I think dwindling it down to a specific type of God debate. Is God real? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I think so. I believe so. And it's about is that worth debating? I believe it is. I think that it's actually really important to debate about the existence of God because if you live by the Bible and you live it correctly and you live it in the way that you live in the image of God throughout your entire life and you call yourself an ambassador of Christ, as we are, then it is something that is too important for you not to debate. Hmm. But I think that that's the point where we have to decide what does living a godly life also look like? And at what point is a godly life interfering with, say, the way other people look at God? Mm-hmm. calling ourselves godly and the other way people look at God as well. But if we're talking about just the timelessness God, or not just time, the timelessness of God, but the timeless God debate, that's a hard thing to answer because I think that there's so many different answers to what God is. Because there's some people who will tell you, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Then there are people who will tell you, I believe in God, but it doesn't have to be Jesus or, you know, just talking to a coworker recently the other day, Oh, I believe in God, but it doesn't have to be Allah or it doesn't have to be Jesus. Just God as as a Yeah, I believe in being. the existence of of a being. Mm-hmm. There's others that will tell you I can't disprove it, who will give you the agnostic idea of it that they don't know it, but they can't disprove it, so they just decide to go kind of lukewarm and, un- and unanswered here. Whereas you'll have of course atheists who will tell you no, there is no God, you know, or that their higher power is just the universe. And just, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I'm not saying that any of these people are uneducated. Um, do I disagree with some of them? Yes. But I think I think that the God debate comes down to one, your experience, of course, I do. Your reasoning. People will say where you grew up, and I believe that a little bit, but I also believe about just where your heart lands as well. Mm-hmm. But on the first end of it, let's talk about logic. Yeah, it is very important to have a balance of experience and logic. I actually, um, we put on our Instagram story yesterday, um, what do you guys think, experience versus logic? And we got some good responses that I'm going to read in a little bit. But let's just establish that you need both. There's not one or the other that you're picking. You need both. The question is how much of each, which one takes priority, things like that. Because 
I am someone who loves to sit around and debate the existence of God. Some might find that unproductive. Because what if I do change somebody's mind and they decide that they believe in God? Does that change anything for them? Does that make them live a more moral life? Does that change their routines and things? I might have brought up this scenario on the podcast before. I have a really bad memory. So if you've heard this story before, I'm sorry. I'm going to say it again. There was a friend that I had who I was talking about the existence of God. And I asked him, I said, if you had all of the evidence that you were looking for, if God painted himself in the sky and was right in front of you and you had clear evidence, would you still devote your life to him? And this is the the Christian God, by the way. Mm. Would you devote your life to him? Would you live right by him? Would you follow, quote, the rules? And he said, you know what? I don't think that I would. Mm. Which blew my mind because something that huge was to reveal itself to you and your entire future and path depended on it, why wouldn't you? And knowing that God is good. But the truth is that some people simply choose not to. And that is everyone's prerogative. Some people, like you said, believe in the universe or believe in just God as a being and not as a personal um, personal father, personal friend. So just, just a lot of beliefs out there that are very interesting, a lot of different answers that people will give you when you have those deep discussions with them. Because I want to encourage everyone to start having conversations like that with people because I do think it's a starting block for, for friendship even. I've built lots of friendships just off of asking questions like that. But are questions like that enough? You know what I mean? Mm. And I'm not saying enough as in to convert somebody or any of that. I mean enough as in to get people really thinking about it. Because if you establish that God exists, what's the next step? God exists and he wants me to be happy. Well, that's not what the Christian belief is. Hmm. That's not what actually (laughs) any of the Abrahamic religions believe. I wanted to read this quote. I'm going to give a little plug for the book Blue Like Jazz by Donald Miller. This book um, spoke to me so well when I was going through This book is really good for anyone going through periods of doubt based on events that happen in your life. So not necessarily, there are tons of books out there that you can read when you're struggling with intellectual things, such as evidence for God, scientific things. This book is really good for when something personal has happened in your life and you want to navigate through that as a Christian. This quote that I'm reading is the beginning of chapter 10. Um, and He writes, my most recent faith struggle is not one of intellect. I don't really do that anymore. Sooner or later, you just figure out there are some guys who don't believe in God and can prove he doesn't exist, and some other guys who do believe in God and can prove he does exist. And the argument stopped being about God a long time ago. And now it's about who is smarter, and honestly, I don't care. I don't believe I will ever walk away from God for intellectual reasons. Who knows anything anyway? If I walk away from him, and please pray that I never do, I will walk away for social reasons, identity reasons, deep emotional reasons, the same reasons that any of us do anything. What do you think about that? No, that's a good point. I agree. I think that it's really interesting to say because you will have so many people in so many phases of their life go through either like a super Republican phase, super liberal phase, a phase where they believe in astrology, a phase where they believe in Christianity, a phase where they even might be touching Buddhism. I don't know. (laughs) Um, and you can find really good debaters on each side. Like we were talking about last week a little bit with influencers, there's 
I could go right now and find three good influencers who are atheists and three good influencers who are Christian. They both could argue with each other till the end of time, probably, you know? Yeah. But I also could find some really crappy atheist uh, debaters mm-hmm. and some really, quite frankly, awful Christian-like <laughs> debaters as well. Yeah. And you would think that they're the dumbest people on the earth. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that I agree with the fact that ultimately, like the more and more we keep going, we will see these Christian destroys um, liberal snowflake <laughs> or liberal dis- destroys uh, Christian flat earther videos yeah. till the end of time. Yeah. You know, and it's because, not that we believe in flat earth, wait, I, I believe the earth is round. I know you're exaggerating. <laughs> but um, I think that till the end of time, we will see someone always rise above, be a Christian, an atheist, and a Christian, atheist, Christian, Christian, atheist, atheist, um, agnostic, agnostic, uh, either way, there's nothing we can really do about that. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it, de- it depends on, then are you going to believe in nothing? Are you going to believe yeah. in nothing at all? Are you going to believe that nothing is real and nothing matters? You know, nihilism is a is a rough life to live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I was saying that I would so much rather have a conversation with someone who so strongly believes in something, even if it's the complete opposite of what I believe, just for the purpose of productive conversation and good friendship as well. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate apologists who dedicate their entire life to defending the gospel, defending the historical truths of the Bible, it's really fascinating when you really delve into these apologists who have clearly done their research. But the thing is that that's not equivalent to living out the gospel, unfortunately. We saw that happen with the Ravi Zacharias scandal where he devoted his entire life to apologetics but clearly was not living the Christian life, which was Mm. just frustrating for so many people. A lot of people left the faith because of that or was shaken in their faith because of that. I definitely was. Someone who I think does a really, really good job in apologetics is Sean McDowell. He's super well-known. He's the son of Josh McDowell, who's the author of Evidence Without a Verdict. I'm sorry, (laughs) that's not the title. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Um, Really amazing book on historical truths of the Bible and evidence to back up your faith. But Sean McDowell does a fabulous job of being non-judgmental in his debate skills. He does a great job of listening to the other person. He holds a lot of interviews on his YouTube channel with people who are of different beliefs. And he just does a really fabulous job of being non-judgmental in his attitude towards them and letting them speak more often than he does. And not even, I would say that he doesn't even solely rely on apologetics. Sean McDowell also brings in his personal experience. He brings in his own emotions. He um, is just a great balance. And I think... Just watching his videos, I can see I, I can see how his responses could really get someone to think. And that's what we want to do in our conversations with others in this life, is just to get people to think about what is what is truth, what is morality, what is the standard for good and evil, things like that. Those types of values, I think, are the things that we need to be talking about with those around us. And that's not to say that that's all we need to talk about, of course. I would not want to be around someone who just wants to talk about that all the time. But there shouldn't be a lack of it, like like not having any of it. The things that make my friendships so deep and so personal are bringing in spiritual elements and asking each other questions even if we don't believe the same things. Speaking of good and evil and morality, I think that's actually a good thing to touch on too 
because I think that a lot of people use morality and good and evil to disprove God's existence. In particular, as of recent, there's been just recent videos on TikTok and stuff talking about how, you know, God is evil because God lets this happen, God lets that happen. Um, because of bad things happening in life, that makes God an evil God, a morally destructive God. Whereas you'll have a lot of people too say that because God's morality is different, what we see as bad and we see as good might not necessarily be what God sees as good and bad. And then you also have the argument too over if there is bad in the world and God is fully omnipotent and omnipresent, there's no way that God could be all good. If God is all powerful, how can God be all good? Yeah, I think that's really fair when people are looking at how could God exist or if God does exist, then how can it be this way? What, what would be your response to someone who thinks that way? Honestly, I would say that I'm too young in my uh, <laughs> too young in my um, Christian walk to really give a great concrete answer because you know I'll be I'll be I'll be honest. I'm I, I, there's a lot of things that I don't feel I, I've answered fully yet, but that I'm looking to. And just because I can't answer something, I don't think that it means I should just leave or deconstruct. I think I should just should question it and see what I get. Um, but my my response to that would be that I think when bad things happen, I think we look at it as God let this bad thing happen. God let someone get hurt in this way. Why didn't God step in? And to me, how I look at it so that I, you know, I look at it as God did not step in because God wanted us to act on our free will. God gave us the decision. God gave that person who killed someone the decision to kill that person or not to. They chose to kill that person and sin. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it. Because I think that, for one, I think even if we, it, no matter which way you look at it, I don't think it proves an evil God, nor do I think it disproves God at all. Um, but I do think that God gives us the ability to have free will. And I think God, in his own nature, limits himself a bit by giving us that free will. Mm -hmm. Not saying that God can't just step in if he ever wants to, because ultimately God could. But I think that goes against God's rules of saying that he, needs, he wants to let us act on however we want to act. And ultimately God puts us almost in like this dome, not a dome like that. <laughs> God almost puts us in this dome, in this little area, in this little, in this bubble that we're in on earth in this universe of where he lets us do what we want and he lets us make our own decisions. Now he might know what the right, what the right decision is and what every outcome is, but I don't think it's necessarily that God always will just choose our own path, but God will have multiple paths to get to one specific ending. That's interesting. So I think that it's up to us to choose which ending we want, you know, cause I sometimes like a video game might have multiple endings, like an alternate ending or a secret <laughs> ending. I think that's kind of like how life is every now and then. You have the ability to make any decision you want. Literally right now, I could choose to do anything I want. Now, of course, like I, I would get, but I would get the consequences of doing whatever I want, right? Right. So I think that when a person, say, kills someone, does something bad to somebody, um, when a, when something happens, when a disaster, and when a disaster happens, that's an even harder thing, you know? When disasters happen, I think that disasters happen because that's how Earth is. And I think that there's no way that we can control that. And that's up to, that's just a, the thing that's really harsh that I think I still need to look deeper into to answer. But I think when it's up to people doing bad things to other bad things and people having bad things from other humans happening, that's more of a thing where I look at it as 
I think that it's not that God let this person get get killed, but God le- but God didn't stop this person from having their own free will because God's code is that he can't interfere with us. I just think that it's God living by his code, which you can call evil. I don't think it's necessarily evil. I think it's more of that God ga- God gave us his word. He would not interject on our free will, so therefore he doesn't. I think that was really well said. Go ahead. I think prayer also, a lot of people say that, oh, well then how can you pray because doesn't prayer go against free will? I think ultimately that it depends on what we think of as prayer. For me, I don't look at prayer as, God, I want a car. God, I want this. God, I want that. I think prayer isn't really meant to be something that God physically does, but more God gives us the strength to be able to get over it or gives us the confidence to get through it. You know, if we're in a dire situation, you know, like a guy has a gun to our head, I don't think that if we pray, God, please save me, that doesn't necessarily means it's going to save us. But I think that that means that God might give us the strength to be able to understand that situation, you know, and that we know as Christians that we'll make it to a place that, you know, if I die, I know I'm going to heaven. So it's like, what's the problem? Not that it's like, not that it's a good thing. It's not a good thing that someone gets killed. What I'm saying is that in that scenario, as a Christian, you know where you're going to go. So therefore, if you're praying to God saying, God, just help me, God will help you. And that help sometimes might come in the form of going to heaven. Um, but I also think that, say, you're in a place where you're having trouble and, say, you lost your car, lost your house, someone, a relative died, and you're just saying, God, I need confidence to get through this. That is something genuinely realistic I think God will give you. God won't just plop a new house in front of you or plop a new car in front of you or put $200,000 into your savings. But God can help you find the doors to open up. God can help you find those happy places. God can guide you mentally to certain places that you might find because that's more realistic. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, even realistically, you're not going to go into, into the world and ask a random person for $200,000 and they're going to give it to you. You know, mm-hmm. just like how if you ask God, God, give me money now. He's not going to because that's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we want to pray for all these things that are so crazy because we've heard of miracles. But I think we also need to understand that God, Jesus came here physically. We didn't want him here physically. We put him on the cross. We didn't want him here physically. Humanity did not want him here physically. So God decided that it's just it ha- that's how it has to be. Because if Jesus were to come back here today, I'm sure he would think bad things would happen to him again. Yep. It's a hard thing to come to terms with, but I believe that history will repeat itself. And people say that if Jesus was here today, everything would be better. Everything would be great if Jesus was physically here on earth. No, he'd be dead again. He'd be on the cross again. That's the truth. I wanted to add, when you were talking about God won't just give you whatever you want right then and there. And even if he did, would you drop everything and follow him? Probably not. You probably would say thanks and then go about living the life you were still Mm -hmm. living. Also, I wanted to just add that Um, I love what you said about God not interfering with our free will. A lot of people will ask the question, well, why are so many people starving, so many people dying across the nations and this and that? And first of all, addressing the starvation issue, God has provided this earth with plenty more resources than we need. And unfortunately, some countries take from other countries and live in excess, and then other countries are left. So that's a human issue. And that's just a a broad general example of ways that God has provided for us and us humans step in and 
take and do the wrong thing, and then God is left to blame when it was our issue, you know? Hmm. So I, I... Kind of like how if you work at a store, right? Almost like this, right? You have a big boss, right? But ultimately, the if you're just a normal employee, what happens to you is up to, say, your team leads, you know, or the other employees around you. That big boss can't take all of the credit for your mistakes because you were actually supposed to report to someone else. You were supposed to report to your earthly leaders, to your leaders that were at the same level as you. So, right, so say if you work out like Walmart or Target, you report to your team leads, and if you mess up, it's your team leads' fault, not the big boss's fault. And the big boss comes down on them and says, what's wrong with you? Just like in the real world, our religious leaders. And so I think that when we look at God, we look at God as almost like, like it says in Blue Like Jazz, we look at God almost like a, like a, like a machine, like one of those coin slot yep, machines, that's in right? chapter two, I think. And so we'll look at God as, oh, this is what you give, gave me? Why'd you give me this? Why did you tell me this that was going to happen? When in reality, it's the fault of those religious leaders giving us false hope. They're the people who are supposed to be leading us and telling us what's the right thing to do, telling us what God is really making us feel. Ultimately, right, they're not the voice of God. It's up to us to really decide to have the discernment. But ultimately, these religious, our religious leaders, our pastors, our fathers and mothers, the people who lead us in our homes, people who lead us out there on the field, they're supposed to be the people who are like our team leads almost. And God is the big boss. And when God is mad, those people are supposed to be the ones who come to action and feel it. And they don't. They hide and they cower and they don't want to help all of the congregation. So most of the congregation leaves, becomes overly progressive, becomes overly Republican, decides to leave the church entirely, make their own new church about something ridiculous, make a bunch of these conspiracy theories, you know, make all this stuff up about this place or that place or whatever. And I think that it's not what that's about. We're getting mad at God, but in reality, we don't even want to accept the fact that maybe our earthly leaders are the ones who are actually messing up the Bible instead of God himself. Period. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. I completely agree. And that's not to delegitimize what people have gone through with church leaders who have failed them, who have done morally wrong things, um, or even who had false um, interpretations of the Bible and people have genuinely been hurt by those people. And that's not to say that those experiences weren't what weren't real mm. and that your hurt isn't real because hurt is very real and you're allowed to feel hurt. You're allowed to feel betrayed. You're allowed to feel even disgusted, but you shouldn't feel those things towards God. You should feel those things towards your earthly leader. Mm-hmm. So that's what I have to say about that. I mean, as a kind of a, a last thing to say in this, in this type of debate, when it comes to looking at our leaders, I think it's good to look at them, but I think it's also good to tell them when we think that they're messing up too. I think it's good to have that sense of activism in in all of our hearts because (laughs) I think we all oftentimes get too scared of what they say and what we and what we've been told the Bible says when we don't even want to put our own noses in it. And so we follow the word of our religious leaders, of our fathers, of our mothers, of our best friend who is a Christian, of our camp counselors, of our youth pastors, of of these apologists, of televangelists, of all these people. And in reality, when they mess up and make a mistake, it is God's fault. It's not their fault. It's God's fault. 
right? That's why we should never. That was sarcastic, right? Yeah. It's God's fault. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we should never put the people in this world to a certain standard and place them in the same spot as God. You know, like your pastor is not God. The Pope is not God. The priests in all in each church is not God. Rabbis are not God. Um, all these people are not God. Your dad is not God. Your mom is not God. They'll fail you. And they'll fail you over and over and over again if you put all your trust into them. So that's what I have to say. Well said. Completely agree. And we are And we're not God either. <laughs> we can be wrong, the two of us. Oh yeah, lots of people who Everyone who has these giant platforms on YouTube and have podcasts now, don't go to them and then when they give a theological answer, be like, okay, well, now it's solved. Yeah. Go to multiple sources. Mm. Go to personal people in your life. Ask them what they think about it. Don't rely on one influencer, one group of people on a podcast sitting around and claiming that they have the answers. Not that we are doing that. Not that... Not that all influencers are like that. In fact, the majority of them aren't. Yeah, like next time someone says, well, this verse says this, why don't you go and read the whole book? Right. Or the whole or the whole chapter instead of just saying, mom, dad, but it says this. That means you hate gay people. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, that means you think that this is that. That means that you think women shouldn't be pastors. Like, Mm-hmm. You know, read the whole thing first and then make your own decision. If you come to that decision, that's your that's your decision. If you don't, that's your also your decision. But ultimately, don't just start making because we like to complain about cherry picking. But then when we hear something that gets our ears and makes us want to dislike our religion, we want to take that cherry picking and put it in our heart. When in reality, we're actually cherry picking just as bad as super Republicans or super liberals. True. Anyone is capable of cherry picking. And in fact, most people do. Your average American is a cherry picker. (laughs) So this episode's already going to be a little bit longer. I hope you guys are okay with that. But before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention some of the things that our audience said about experience versus logic when it comes to this stuff. So we got a message from actually a friend of mine and Seth's. Um, I'm going to read her whole response and we can talk about it. So she said, I think that you can, as in, wait, what was my question? Is it really possible to change someone's perspective based purely on logic? She says, I think that you can, but they need to open their heart to be able to truly listen. In Islam, there's a saying that it's not the eyes that are blind, it's the hearts. Meaning that someone could see literal proof of God and still deny it because they don't want it to be true. So they stop themselves from believing. Yep, that's what I was talking about earlier with hmm. in my conversation with my friend. I have a hard time with this, though, because if you manage to show someone truth and it's different than their experience or what they've learned growing up, they now have to grapple with the idea that everyone from their childhood was wrong in their beliefs as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Because at that point, you even start watching movies differently and you start watching shows and old sermons and you think about things that your parents used to do and think, why did we do that? You start questioning everything from your childhood. That's a good point. Um, even thinking about things such as like watching Veggie Tales, you know, <laughs> you think about that as being somehow wrong and messed up. And then when your parents told you not to stay away, to stay away from somebody, maybe you should have listened to that person. Um, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. And, and when you, especially at that age of like 
13 to like 17, that's a time when if someone gets in your ear, that can change your entire perspective on life. You can get to this place where you're telling yourself, my parents told me this was real, but no one agrees with them. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if no one agrees with them, they're wrong. And again, not saying your parents are always right. If your parents are wrong, you should always be open to telling them when you think they're wrong. But also understand that your parents aren't also always wrong. And sometimes just because everyone is saying something doesn't always mean it's true. Yes, I want to bring up the testimony of this apologist. Um, he he was incredible. His name is, I'm going to mispronounce his name. His name is Nabil Qureshi, I think. don't know if I'm saying that right, but... Um, he recently passed. Um, it was very tragic because he had done incredible things, given incredible speeches. He is the author of Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. So he grew up in a devout Muslim home. And there's a famous speech that he gives about his testimony of coming to the realization that Christianity is true and then having to deal with the aftermath of his entire childhood feeling like a lie and feeling wrong. And the way he grappled with that and wrestled with that just a very powerful testimony. I would encourage you guys mm. to go watch it. You can find it on YouTube um, or even purchase the book Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Um, just an incredible speaker. And he really paints the picture for you of what it would be like if you were told that everything you learned from your parents is wrong and now you have to face the truth. Yeah, I don't want to get into that, give too much of that away because it is very powerful and we are kind of short on time. But that's what I would recommend to you guys. Mm. Thank you to that friend that sent us that message. Really great response. Lots of good stuff in there. And um, mm-hmm. most of the responses we got were saying that you need both. You need mm-hmm. both experience and logic. So moving on to just a couple more, we had another friend who said, you need a bit of both, but certainly because we need logic to make sense of experiences. Mm-hmm. That's interesting how they're codependent on each other. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you agree with that, that they depend on each I other? I agree. I think with experiences, I think you can experience, I think for one, you need to watch out for your experiences because your experience is always the truest thing to you. However, that comes into contact when you say, that comes into problem and conflict when you say certain things like, well, let's just say as, a, as an example, my experience with uh, eating Fritos made me throw up all over the floor. So that means no one should eat Fritos. And I'm going to preach that no one should eat Fritos because if you eat Fritos, your life is going to be bad. You're going to throw up and you're going to be sick and everything is going to go wrong for you. But then I come along and I say, I love Fritos. I eat Fritos all the time. They make me feel great. They give me a bunch of energy. I don't, I don't have a problem with Fritos. That's kind of the divide with believing in a, in, in a God and having that be solely based on your personal experience. Because you can say that well, you know, as a kid, I wore long dresses. I never wore makeup. You know, I grew up in legalism. I'm saying this from a woman's perspective. Okay. I grew up in legalism. And because of that, God blessed me. And now we're wealthy and my kids are successful and I'm successful and my husband loves me. But then I say, or you say that, well, I did that exact same thing, but everybody left me. My brothers and sisters, I haven't seen them in years. We have no connection. Um, I'm depressed and I have anxiety and I just can't get a grip on life. You know, and then you say, why does your way work, but it didn't work for me? And if it didn't work for me, how can God be real? 
So that's where yeah. experiences, I think, kind of falter a little bit. But go back to the Fritos thing with what you're saying. What would be the correct response instead of just saying, oh, Fritos made me throw up or someone saying, I love Fritos, they give me energy. What you should do is go and research in that scenario. What is the pattern of people getting sick from Fritos? Mm-hmm. Does there seem to be consistent evidence of people getting sick from this? Mm-hmm. And then you take your experience plus your research and your knowledge and you form a conclusion based on that. Mm-hmm. Because you might find that the reason that they threw up was because they had faulty knowledge of how to eat Fritos. <laughs> and <laughs> but this and, is a stretch. No, but in like, but then in in your faith, you might be like, the reason that this person messed up is because they had a faulty view of Christianity from the beginning. They were never going to make it in the first place because of the way they believed it. And only if they changed their mind, then they would fi- they would finally believe. Right. Good stuff. Last one I'll read is. Um, I think both are necessary, but logic can often overpower experience as experience is more subjective. Hmm. So this person is saying that it is still a balance, but logic should kind of be the determining factor. I think, I mean, ultimately you need to make logic out of your experiences because like we were saying, experiences can be one in a million, one in 10 or 10 out of 10. Um, when it comes to logic, yes, you need to absolutely make sure that you know what you're talking about. You can't just go into a room of people who say, you, know, you want to want to come to Christ, want to bring salvation, want to bring God's presence, but not know a lick of the Bible, not know any historical context around any of it. Then when someone tells you, but I heard that this was this, and then you're like, well, I don't really know, but what I experienced was this. And they're going to say, well, I experienced this. But that doesn't mean I think it's real. Anyone could say anything to your experiences, but also when you get too logical and too cerebral, I think that you find yourself in this place where nothing at all makes sense. Emotions don't make sense. Personal experience doesn't make sense at all. And you become always a bit, almost a bit stoic to where you can't even believe in mundane things because nothing makes sense. So you have to become super, um, either a super maximalist or a minimalist in your belief system that nothing can work or everything has to work. So I think you have to limit your, the, the way you look at everything logically as well and give both, both, um, give equal opportunity to both your emotions and your logic because mm-hmm. you can't be fully feeling, but you also can't be fully just intuitive and not necessarily intuitive, but fully just logical all the time. Yeah. And of course I agree with the person saying that experience is more subjective. That's just a fact because logic is, by definition, objective. Um, So you need a little bit of objectivity and subjectivity to come to that conclusion. Um, So I do think that you should start with your personal experience. Start with what God has shown you in your life. Start with things that might be coincidence, but might be something greater. And as that personal experience starts to kind of turn the wheels in your brain and get you thinking about what the meaning of life is, what how this earth came to be, Mm. personal experience will personal experience should prompt you and push you into logic and into doing more research and educating yourself further. Mm -hmm. So like we were saying on the previous response, they are codependent on each other. Yeah. With that being said, that's all I got. That was a good episode. We Mm -hmm. talked it up. This was probably one of our longer ones, but If you guys have any extra thoughts and you want to further the conversation, please reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, 
And that's all right now. <laughs> you can find our Instagram at the underscore introvert underscore city. You can find me at Karina underscore B04. You can find me at it's underscore D-A-N-E-Y-L. Thank you, guys. We will be back next week with some more topics coming to you. Don't go anywhere.